ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with us to Romans chapter 15, verses 30 through 33. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul was without a doubt one of the greatest, if not the greatest, believer who has ever lived. He was a man of power who was used of God in some very magnificent ways. He saw the Lord work more miracles and save more souls than you and I would probably see in several lifetimes. You would think a man of his stature would have needed no one or nothing. However, such is not the case. Several times in the writings of Paul, he is found asking the people of God to pray for him. And here's a man who is on top of the heap, spiritually speaking, yet he feels the need to have God's children battling for him in prayer. Yet here's a man who is keenly aware of the benefit of having the saints of God lift you up in prayer. As Paul is asking the question, who will pray for me? He's also illustrating for us one of the greatest privileges that is ours as believers. We have the privilege of being part of the ministry and the work of others. When we pray for them and carry them and their needs before the Lord, we have a part in their ministry. So while Paul is asking for people to lift him up, he's also inviting them to join him as he serves the Lord. For you see down through the years, God has given us some great spiritual giants. However, behind every one of them were people who prayed, who touched heaven on their behalf. The names of the prayer partners may not be remembered here, but when the rewards are handed out at the judgment seat of Christ, those who labored in the closets of prayer will receive as much as those who labored in the field. Now let's look at Paul's closing plea to the Roman Christians. He seems to be asking, who will pray for me? It just may be that this message will remind us of the importance of intercessory prayer and that we'll get busy praying about the needs in the lives of those around us. In verse 30, I'd call your attention to a call for diligence in prayer. Paul says that he beseeches them to join with him in praying for his work. 
That's a very strong word. It's the same word used in Romans 12 and verse 1. And there Paul called them to present their bodies to the Lord, and here they're called on to join him in a ministry of prayer. The word beseech comes from a word that means to call to one's side or to draft into service. It gives the impression of an SOS. Paul is saying, I need your help. I'm drafting you to come alongside of me and help me pray about some things. And like a halfback in the Super Bowl, he may be fast, but he doesn't have some folks blocking for him. He'll be on the ground in short order. So those in spiritual ministry need others out in front of them blocking for them. Paul tells him that he isn't being selfish. He's not asking selfishly about needing their prayers. He wants them to know that he is asking because he wants Jesus to receive all the glory. For Paul's request isn't for himself, but for the glory of God. Friends, this should be the overriding theme of every prayer we pray. And we really pray that prayer in faith, knowing that it's for the glory of God. If not... And we need not pray that prayer at all. There are times when people will ask us to pray about some matter or this or that, and they already know how they want it to turn out. Well, often we don't have the liberty to pray the way they want us to pray. Many times I have to pray, Lord, if it's your will, do this or that, or Lord, if it will glorify you, do this or that. We have to be careful how we pray. Notice also that Paul says, for Jesus' sake and for the love of the Spirit. When we are saved and the Spirit of God indwells us, one of the first things he does is he gives us a love for the people of God, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And this love of God in us is one of the major reasons why we pray one for another. If I love you, I will be concerned about what affects you. And I want to help you pray about it. So prayer should be birthed out of a desire to glorify God and out of love for God's people. Lastly, Paul calls upon these Christians to strive with him in prayer. The word carries the idea of entering into a fight with someone else. It's the same word from which we get our English word agony. It's the same word used of Jesus when he prayed in Gethsemane. It pictures prayer as literally wrestling. Brother, that's just what it is. I don't care what you name in the Christian life, it's easier than praying. Why? Because the devil and the forces of evil will fight your attempts at a consistent prayer life more than anything else you do. The devil fears a Christian who prays effectual prayers, James 5 and verse 16. Paul isn't referring to this casual approach to the throne of grace that we engage in most of the time. No, he's talking about people who will come boldly before the Lord and who labor to hold on God. Where are those who will abide faithful through the night? Where are the saints that will lay their heads on the doorsteps of heaven, 
grasped the horns of his altar by faith and lay siege to God's throne until he answers. That was the kind of prayer warriors Paul was seeking. And those are the kind we must have in our churches today. Prayer is our opportunity to enter into spiritual warfare with Satan. Prayer is our opportunity to stand tall in the power of God and fight battles against enemies that we cannot see. It is our opportunity to win battles that we cannot fight with our hands. It is in the closet of prayer that power descends upon the preacher. It is the prayer of a mother that protects the son in the war thousands of miles away. It's the prayer of the local church that meets the needs of the missionaries in the foreign field. And may we never neglect or downplay the enormous potential of prayer. That's why we pray on Wednesday evenings. That's why we pray on Sundays. That's why we pray to the God of heaven. God grant us those who will pay the price in prevailing prayer so that the work of God may prosper in the land. Secondly, I would call to your attention, verses 31 and 32, a call for detail in prayer. Paul was not asking for some generalized prayers that would avail nothing. He takes the time to tell these believers exactly what he wants them to pray for. By the way, prayer ought to be specific. We ought to not be afraid to name our request to the Lord. If we don't, how will we know when they're actually answered? Notice there are three specific areas where Paul asked for prayer. Paul asked that his walk might be protected. Paul knew that he was walking into the lion's den. There were people in Jerusalem who hated him, who hated his message, and would stop at nothing to kill him. Read Acts chapter 23, and you'll see. There were 40 men there who determined not to eat or drink until they had killed the apostle Paul. They hated him, and he's praying for protection. Now, this same kind of praying, is needed today. God's people are still being attacked by a spiritual enemy. Satan is literally on the prowl. And if there's one thing that I see as a pastor that believers are ignorant of in their walk, it is the fact that they have an enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The word devour there means destroy. He is seeking to destroy them, and they need prayer. When will we learn that our real power as a church does not lie in our size, does not lie in our organizations, doesn't lie in our affiliations or our education? 
The power of a church lies in prayer. Our real power is spiritual in nature and is exercised through the avenue of prayer. We need to pray for churches that teach the Bible as the Word of God. We need to pray for young preachers. We need to pray for the young people. We need to pray for one another. We must pray that a hedge of divine protection be placed around those who are being attacked by the enemy and pray that they will be strong and that the attacks of the evil one will be turned back upon his own head. But again, Paul not only prayed for protection, but he prayed that his work might prosper. Paul's next item of prayer concerns the offering he's taking to the church in Jerusalem. Now, why would they have a problem with the offering? Because the unbelieving Jews wanted Paul dead. And the believers were still leery of Paul. They remembered the man that before he received Christ, before he received his calling, this man actually wanted to kill them. And he merely wants them to pray that God will open doors and that God will soften the hearts. This is the same kind of praying we must have in our churches and our ministries today. Pray when preachers preach. Pray when the teachers teach. Pray when the singers sing. Pray when the witnesses witness. Pray that God will prepare hearts and touch lives, and it's a glorious thing to see the Lord move and prosper his work when it's undergirded by the prayers of his people. So prayer that works might prosper. People must pray prayers. Again, Paul desired that God and his will might prevail. Paul wants to come to Rome if it's in the will of God, and he wants to meet these saints if it is the will of God. He wants to rejoice with them if it's the will of God. So Paul asked them to pray that God's will might be done in all of these things. Now, here's Here's where Paul speaks of joy. Paul speaks of refreshment. These things exist where the will of God is being carried out. Above all, Paul wants the will of God to be accomplished. Why? Because there's no sweeter place on earth than to be in the will of God. When I'm in the will of God, I have joy. When I'm out of his will, there is a loss of joy and I'm miserable. When I'm in his will, I am refreshed in the spirit. When I'm out of his will, there's no refreshment of heart. And as a church, when we are praying and seeing the Lord work out his will in our midst, there's joy and there's refreshing spirit around the house of God. And when we're running on our own steam, there's a lack of power, there's a lack of purpose, there's a lack of design, there's a lack of joy, and there's a lack of refreshment. God help us to seek his will first because it's his work. 
It's his church, and we belong to him. It's his, his will first, both as individuals as well as a church body. We all have things that we think we want to see the Lord do in any given church. However, may all of our praying be tempered by the will of God. After all, if his will is being done, then there's going to be joy, there's going to be refreshment, and when it's our will that's being accomplished, there's problems, confusion, hurt feelings, turmoil. Now in verse 33, Paul goes on and he gives us a call for delight in prayer. This final verse is a glimpse inside Paul's heart. He's able to leave all of these matters in the hand of God and rest in the assurance that God will take care of the Roman believers. The final verse is something of a prayer. It's it is, is breathed by the apostle on behalf of the local church, and it teaches us about some valuable components that need to be included in our own prayer lives. This isn't Paul crying out in despair. It isn't him throwing up his arms in defeat. No. He's telling these people, I've committed these matters to God. I am at rest. Now you do the same thing. And you rest too. Rest in what? Rest in the peace of God. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He does not know what will happen to him when he gets there. For all he knows, he might be killed or badly wounded. But he's able to rest in the arms of God. He's able to roll his whole need over into the strong arms of God and trust him to take care of all of it. He's also able to take these Roman Christians in the midst of their persecution and he's able to tell them, God will take care of you. Now this is a lesson for you and I. As we labor in prayer before the Lord, when we prayed about a matter in faith and have committed it to the will of God, then we can have peace in our hearts that he'll take care of it for us as well. He may not answer it the way we want him to answer it, but he will always do what is right with the things we ask him. Therefore, when you have prayed well, rest in his peace. Not only rest in his peace, but rest in the presence of God. Paul reminds these believers that they not only have the peace of God to rest in, but they also have the presence of God to rely on. Paul wants them to know that they can count on God to be with them as he travels and with them as they wait to hear from him again. He merely wants them to know that having God is far more valuable than having anything God can give. You and I have the same assurance as we go through this life. There are times when we look at situations and think the, we're just totally hopeless, helpless. And they are, as long as we leave God out of the picture. Remember the spies in Numbers 13? 
You leave God out of the picture and you're in a mess. But we need never leave God out, for he's always with us regardless of the situation. Regardless of how he answers our prayers, he's always there for us. That is his promise. Hebrews 13, 5, Matthew 28 and verse 20. Therefore, let us have confidence as we face the stormy seas of life. The one who walks on the waves is the one who holds our hands. And in closing, let me say that Paul was praying and the folks in Rome were praying, but did God ever answer these prayers? Yes, he did. And to find out that, I encourage you to read Acts chapters 21 through 23. He was protected just like he prayed. He was well received in the church in Jerusalem just as he prayed. God had answered his prayers. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 21... And verse 17, and when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And he was able to rejoice with the Roman Christians in the Lord's time, in God's time. It's amazing how things work out when we let God handle it all. Acts chapter 28 and verse 15 says, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Epi Forum. And the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Yes, God heard these prayers from Paul, and he heard the prayers from the church, and they were answered. Now listen. When you pray, don't you dare, don't you dare be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if the answer doesn't come along as quickly as you would like for it to do. But when you have prayed in faith, believing, always remember that God answers every prayer you pray. Sometimes he says yes, and we all love those. Sometimes he says no, we don't like those as much. Sometimes he says wait, and those are the hardest of all to receive. But it's still a blessing to know that all prayers are answered. Therefore, believer, pray. 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 Pray without ceasing. Get on the battlefield of prayer. Will you pray for your church? Will you pray for your community? Will you pray for this ministry? Will you pray for gospel dynamite? Will you pray for the leaders as well? 
I'm talking about the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our state, the leaders of our local areas, municipalities. No, you're not always going to agree with them. But the Lord never said that was a stipulation to pray for them. God said, pray for them. Pray for those in authority. Will you pray unto the Lord, trusting him to protect your walk, prosper your work for him, and his will to prevail in your life? Will you? Will you? If we will pray as he has taught us, we will see him work in ways we have never imagined. God is more than willing to answer our prayers than we are to pray those prayers. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness for your grace, for your blessing. And I ask that you would touch hearts of those listening on radio and in front of us. Lord, I ask that you would touch every home that's listening. I pray that you would convict them of their sin of unbelief if they need Christ. And I pray that they would accept you as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, help us in this matter of prayer. Help us in this matter of praying for our country, praying for our leaders. Help us in prayer. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord. Amen.